วรหโทสมมาสมบุตัสนะโมทัสสะบากวาโทอาระหะโทสมมาสมบุตัสนะโมทัสสะบากวาโทอาระหะโทสมมาสมบุตัสสะอภารุธาเดสังมัทสทวราเยสุรวันทาบมุญชันทูสดังเ
you know, and try to think about time, uh, language is also dependent on time. You know, words have beginning and endings and sentences and so forth. So you have one word and it connects to the next. So it, it's uh, thinking is is um, function that we're very attached to and uh, depend on and identify with. So we are binding ourselves to thoughts, to the thinking process, which is linear, because it always leads, uh, you know, goes on to the next thing. So in, uh, like in uh, Zen Buddhism or different uh, styles of meditation where you kind of non-plus the thinking mind, you stop the, the thinking mind in order to to uh, be aware of what it's like not to be caught in the thinking process. Trying to figure out Buddhism all the time and coming to, uh, you know, uh, a highly uh, uh, intellectual understanding of Buddhism is certainly praiseworthy, but it's not liberating. Because as long as one is bound into even into into that attachment to thinking as your as your path, then of course you will just be going on from one thing to the next. So when the 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 stopping of the mind, the stopping of the thinking mind, how do you do that? How do you stop thinking? Of course, this was in my year of. Uh, when I was a Samanera, this was one of my uh, great insights. Uh, because I, I couldn't figure out how to stop thinking. I had the insight that I, that, I, uh, that I needed to stop thinking, but I didn't know how to do it. Because I kept thinking about stopping thinking. They go around in a circle. So they, I came across this, uh, because of that, I, I had an insight that stopped thinking, and then I realized it just, then the, then the mind was saying, well, how do you stop thinking? Well, just stop. Well, how do you just stop? Well, just do it. <laughs> and how do you just do it? <laughs> so the thinking mind's always going to come forth and try to, you know, ask how and why and and want to question it or or, you know, think about it, analyze thinking, non-thinking. But it's, uh, you know, it's something that you do. How do you do it? And so just like, like, stop thinking. Now there are ways of just noticing, uh, like koans are one way in, in Buddhism where you, you have a, uh, ask a question or make a statement that, uh, you know, like what is the, my original face before I was born or something like this. Now that, then the, uh, the thinking mind of course wants to answer the question, you know, make some clever kind of uh, verbal answer to the question. But the point is, is, is to, to begin to recognize when you, when you ask yourself an impossible question, 
or something that stops the thinking mind that you don't have a, a nice, neat, pat answer for, then what happens? Your, your thinking mind stops. So there's a gap. There's a pause. And that pause is what uh, I, you know, one, I'm encouraging you to really notice, be conscious of the the space between thoughts or the gaps between thoughts. So when when you ask yourself a question and the and the answer doesn't come immediately, just to notice, to recognize the the space, the gap between the thoughts. Or when the question is asked, the way the thinking mind it'll start trying to find an answer, but before it does that, you're not you're not interested in an in an intellectual answer to the question. Now, in, we're, because we are conscious beings, then uh, we're, you know, consciousness is, is, uh, is an ongoing experience. We're experiencing it right now. And we only really are, you know, awakened usually. Uh, usually, we be, as we get older, we just become habitual creatures of habit. So we 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 have certain certain ways of thinking and reacting according to conditions, situations, and and that's uh, and that's what we identify with with these with the force of habit. And of course, it's, uh, it gets I mean, when you get really old, a lot older. It's pretty boring. I mean, I found myself really bored with my thoughts and emotional habits. <clears throat> no longer find it interesting to think and be clever and and uh, construct all kinds of fascinating ways, uh, sentences, and and, and uh, intellectual pursuits. Where at one time I found that quite, quite you know, enjoyed doing things like that. But of course, it doesn't doesn't solve the problem. It's not liberating. So uh, one suffers just even if you figure out Buddhism, you know, study it in all its aspects through the concepts, the various teachings and schools and so forth. You end up filled with the with one thought going on to the next. So years ago I remember meeting a, an Abhidhamma scholar who said she, she had become an expert on Abhidhamma so she she had studied it and and she she you know knew it quite well uh, but she told me of course nowadays no one can become a stream enterer. And uh, this uh, surprised me because I thought, well, why, do, why would she say that? Uh, then I, I, I concluded that she, that's what she rea that's what, where her thoughts take her. You know, if you study the, the Buddhism and um, all the, you know, the scriptures and the Mahayana and the Theravada and the Abhidhamma and all the rest, you end up with a, it, an incredibly complex knowledge of, of Buddhism. You might have a very good brain that might accommodate uh, all kinds of intricacies of perception and conception, but at the end of the day, it makes life 
incredibly complicated. And that complexity, you know, when, when things get too complex, everything seems impossible. At least it does to me. When I think a lot about my life and about me and the future of Buddhism in Britain and Amaravati and, and Ajahn Chah tradition and ordaining monks and nuns and the future of the Sangha, it sounds so complicated. You know, this, the, the mind boggles. So much to do, so many unknown factors, so many possibilities and so forth that it, uh, you know, just one, one feels kind of weary of all that complexity. So, uh, rather than, than trying to figure out and think and solve the problems on that level, the Buddha pointed to the simple imminent act of awareness, mindfulness. And so, in consciousness, then, of course, we, the thoughts arise and cease, don't they? You can, you're still conscious even though you're not thinking. So, when you stop thinking, it means you're not, you don't become unconscious. You're not asleep or in a trance. <clears throat> so, recognize, it's a very ordinary kind of uh, just beginning to recognize that which is most obvious, but which is which is here and now, but not noticed. So, with thinking, one is always, you know, because one is caught in the flow of thought. One thought leads on to another. I mean, that's how language is constructed. One word goes on to the next. We have gra grammatical, grammar structures and so forth, uh, ways of thinking. So one thing, one word uh, goes on to the next one, and they, kind of, they connect into a sentence. And, and so we, we, we get attached to the words and the thoughts. But the space around all that, we don't notice. Just like the space in this temple here. You know, when, if you're on visual consciousness, you know, if you you start noticing, paying attention to space here in the, in the, uh, as you're sitting here in this uh, temple. Doesn't, you know, you can, you're, you're, you're withdrawing your interest, fascination for the, for the people in it, the, the decor, the shrine, the, all the, the things in it, because if you just, if you come in here, you just start noticing all the people and the, pillars and the shrine and the windows and the walls and the rafters, the floor and the carpet and the high seats. And yet the most obvious thing in this temple is, is the space. And, that's, uh, and if there were no space in this temple, we couldn't be here now. So it's the most important, isn't it? The space is the important one. And yet we can give all our attention in our time to the things. We can really wind ourselves up with liking this, not liking that, and getting obsessed with the, the color or the, the, the object or the form or its beauty or its lack of beauty or whatever. And, and not one moment enter the space of this through consciousness.
And yet space is, is, is the important one. It's here all the time. It's here before the temple was here. <laughs> and so space also is uh, infinite. You know, it has no boundary in terms of our experience of it right now. I mean, we, we can see, we know, isn't it, that the, the walls of this uh, building are in space. And it goes on, you go outside the building and you, you just see into the sky, into the night. And you see stars and you see the full moon tonight and, and it, it has no boundary. You're experiencing infinity, isn't it? It's, it, it? It has no form or boundary to it. How far does it go? We can't, we can't you know, we, we have to use words like infinity because uh, we can't conceive. We can't, you know, we can imagine some kind of boundary maybe way out there just by creating a thought of a, so many light years away is a, is a big wall. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's something we're creating, imagining. So getting to, to to recognize, to reflect, to, to notice the way it is, the space visually. Now the eye is, a, is, a, is, a, is an organ that we use, so, it, and, and consciousness operates through, the, through these senses, through the eyes, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, mind. But consciousness is not bound by the sense organs either. It's not limited to the sense organs. So, so that we're not, uh, but we, so we, you know, from space, which we can contemplate, just on a very practical level of just looking at the space here. When I look at the space in this temple, I'm not, no longer interested in you. I'm looking at the space. You don't have to move out. You don't have to go away. But because the space contains us all, there's room for us all in this temple, in this space here. But if I contemplate space, visual space, I begin to feel spacious because my consciousness is then, then, uh, uh, receiving space, noticing, being with space, where if I don't notice, then I tend to just get caught into the, you know, fascination or whatever, or, or from either thinking inside, looking inward and just thinking, 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 or looking outward and, and uh, looking at the people or the objects in the space. And this is for you to kind of contemplate, uh, because this is experience now. It's not, an, not asking you to do some impossible task. But it's always the very, uh, you know, the, the power of delusion of a vicha, this Pali word. Ignorance of the truth, not seeing things as they are. 
So we, you know, so much attention is given to things, to objects, to minute objects, to to uh, far away objects. We, you know, they're trying to send them. You know, Americans want to send a human being to Mars. Mm-hmm. To, to be able to be the first one to say we've maybe put an American flag on Mars and claim it. <laughs> but the space between Earth and Mars is the same as the space here in this room, isn't it? Space is space. Doesn't You can't say it's American space or English space or anything like that. I used to practice in Thailand, and then I lived uh, in Watapong. I, uh, I'd get so caught up with with uh, monastic forms and and monastic life, and you, you have you sit in, in with with a group of monks, and then you you you've already uh, you're conceiving them all the time, perceiving them as this monk is like this, that monk is like that. So I create them into people all the time, uh, and uh, then um, then I like this one. I don't like that one very much. This one's a good monk. That one's not a very good monk. And get caught up with that monk. You know, he's not. Uh, he he doesn't uh, conduct himself very well when he's on Bindabat and, and on and on like this. So one gets caught into the whole kind of scenario of, of gossip and monastic monkish kind of thinking. And then, uh, in order to to stop doing that, I'd start looking at space between monks and lay people. Just just making more conscious, looking at the space or the gaps between, rather than giving all my attention, you know, obsessing my mind with liking, disliking, making judgments about others. Well, I found out that the effect of it was, uh, you know, it stopped that, that habitual kind of uh, obsessive thinking around uh, relating to people uh, you're living with in a community. Towards looking at something very real, very obvious, but not, not, unless you deliberately choose to look, it doesn't announce itself. Space doesn't kind of, you know, come in and make a big impression, doesn't stand out. Like the Buddha Rupa stands out, and the first thing you see when you come in the door is a golden Buddha Rupa. Space around the Rupa, you're so impressed with the Buddha image, you don't notice the space around it. But consciousness, and you begin to explore the experience of consciousness, then then you, 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 that includes space also. So being conscious of form and space, they relate to each other. Form is finite. Space is infinite. So you, 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 you're, you're awakening to that reality. You're not trying to 
you know, it's not an attack on form or, or uh, you know, making judgments against conditioned phenomena or form or thinking or time or anything like this. We're not, we're not an annihilationists. We're not out to destroy forms and and uh, get rid of time and all the rest. It's not that would be an uh, an annihilationist approach, you know, wanting to just. Uh, annihilate everything. But awareness as, as a conscious entity, like we're, that's what we are at this moment, is, this is a conscious entity, this form here sitting in this high seat that you call Ajahn Sumedho. It's a conscious entity. And so it, it, the consciousness is from this point, from this point here, I notice this, that from this, this point, there's consciousness. So you are actually in my mind. You are, you are in my consciousness at this moment. That's the way it is. And putting it in, in uh, ordinary language. The space around you is in my consciousness at this moment too. So how, when you relate to, to immeasurables like infinity, what, that's, that's oftentimes just seen as some kind of abstraction, yeah, intellectual abstraction, at least for me it used to be. But yet it is an obvious reality, infinity. When you, when you compare space with the forms in it, when you discern the difference, the forms are limited, finite conditions, and the, but the space has no boundary. It doesn't belong to anybody. It has no quality other than spaciousness. So, so then uh, you begin, you know, spaciousness as we, as we consciously notice and awaken to space or spaciousness, we feel, we also begin to feel similar. We begin, we're, we're letting go of all this nitpicking and, and emotional habits and self-concerns and value judgments and so forth and dilemmas that we create to be with, with the reality of infinity, infinite space. Now, emotionally, of course, it's, it's frustrating because emotions are about, you know, the reaction to the condition. So when you, you know, one can, uh, you try to figure it out intellectually, it does seem complicated, but in reality it's, it's very simple. It's a matter of paying attention to the way it is.
So then consciousness itself is infinite and in terms of this moment. It has no boundary. We, we usually bind consciousness with the forms, our fascination, our absorption, our interest in thought, thinking, our emotional habits, and in the, what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch. But when we're just in that, uh, the mind stops thinking, we're just aware there's consciousness, but it has no boundary to it. Uh, but it includes everything. So in, when we have those moments where the thinking mind stops, and we're, we're, we're noticing. Conscious still, but there's no thought. And then reflecting on that, using thought then to, to really explore it. What is it, you know, is, it, is there a boundary to this consciousness? So in terms of of how I experience consciousness when I'm not attached to conditioning, to the habits, it has no boundary. So these are like the immeasurable contemplations in, that, uh, that they mention in the scripture, the, the uh, no-thingness neither perception or non-perception. These are reality, these are not just kind of um, blind abstractions, you know, or, or absorbed states that uh, are, you know, only possible through um, going off to a cave or someplace and, and uh, to a sensory deprivation tank or whatever. <laughs> but it, because that which is unconditioned, infinite, boundless, then includes the condition, the, like the space here. The con and when we look at the conditions, like if I start looking at you, starting looking at, at one of you, then I, my intention is to not, not get caught in fascination, like or dislike, but in receiving the form and then the space around the form. It's a different way of, of looking at something, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's no longer am I, you know, analyzing, criticizing, uh, you know, becoming interested or repelled by anybody, but the actual form, the Buddha Rupa, or the pillars, or the carpet on the floor, whatever, can lead us toward the, can, it can, can lead us into the space when we allow it to. All conditioned phenomena arises and ceases. So every condition, good or bad, takes us to cessation. Or they, it takes us to the unconditioned. 
See, so there, there's not, we're not taking sides, you know, we're not being annihilationists by, by making kind of negative judgments against conditioned phenomena. Nor are we trying to create illusions or fantasies around conditioned phenomena with our minds. You know, we're not making eternalist kind of uh, ideals and, and, and uh, abstractions with our mind about the, you know, a heavenly realm where we live forever in eternity uh, in, with an eternal soul and an eternal God and eternal this and eternal happiness. These are thoughts that we create. We're not doing that. The, so the eternalist view or the annihilationist view, Buddha was pointing that this is the machima bhattibhata, the middle way. It's neither one extreme nor the other. So it includes both. You know, it's not. Uh, it they you know it's perfect the way it is. Now, and when I point to the, what I call sound of silence, the background uh, cosmic sound. Or is it a sound or a vibration? I don't know, but it is what it is. It has no boundary either. So that's why it's a very, very useful way of stopping thinking. That's why I, I, what I found out in the, in the early years of my monasticism, when I recognized this sound of silence, my thinking stopped. You know, I was obsessed with thinking, and I wanted to stop thinking. How do you stop thinking, stop thinking, going around like that? And then think, think, think about not thinking. And then just try to make myself stop thinking, made me even think even more, just do an act of willful, I'm not going to think, and then I start thinking. So, but, but rather than, than a willful act of repressing thought, uh, you're letting thought take you to non-thinking. So it's, it's, it's letting things lead on, you know, letting them rather than trying to control and manipulate the conditioned realm or hold on to abstractions about the unconditioned, you're, you're learning to trust in your own ability to observe and, and see how things really are, the way it is. And of course that's up to you and, you know, I can't do it for you. So in the sound of silence, my thinking, this is how I experience it, the thinking stops. There's non-thinking. There's this resonating kind of vibratory sound. It's like a, a gap, nothing's there. And yet, I'm fully conscious, I can see you, you know, I'm, I'm not blind or deaf or anything, but that, that resonating 
sound includes other sounds. You can hear the airplanes fly overhead or the the wind blowing or whatever. It it includes because it, it it's a background. It has that sense of infinity, but immeasurable, no boundary. Or just contemplate from that. You know, when you create yourself as a person, you're making yourself, you're putting a boundary on, aren't you? You're, I am this way, this is who I am, me and mine, I am like this. And all these are, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but to know that it is, if that's all you, you ever notice, you know, you're stuck with, with the limitations that you've chosen for yourself. So that's why we suffer all the time as, as, as uh, human beings, because we, some of the things we see, we think ourselves to be and hold on to, are oftentimes very negative perceptions. And even if I should have only positive, I am the wonderful person, I am the most beautiful of all, I am the most intelligent, I am... God, <laughs> it's still, uh, I'm binding myself to concepts again. And then it's, uh, I'm, I'm, bind, I'm putting the limit. I'm not receiving, I'm not open to the unlimited, but I'm limiting myself, even to, to the concept of being, I'm an unlimited person. It's still, you know, the way of, still a limitation because of the nature of thought and attachment to thinking. So in, in anatta, that in the Buddha pointed to anatta, non-self, recognize, like it's for me, this, this awareness, this stillness, I can't find the self because I'm not thinking. I can't find Ajahn Sumato or anything. I can't find a, a man or a, an American or even a Buddhist monk or anything because I'm not thinking. But I, there's full consciousness. I'm not dead. I'm fully awake. I'm not in a trance or asleep. Then in knowing this, this is, this is uh, using consciousness with wisdom, with panya, to discern, to see, to test it out. <clears throat> so what is that? When there's no no self, then also there might be emotional energy still operating. You know, so it stops thinking, but then there's this, this kind of feelings of, you know, emotional uh, energy, maybe it's, uh, you know, worried about something or whatever. So I can be aware of that, that sense of worry without analyzing it. You know, uh, you know, if you if you really stop the thinking process and just notice, like the mood of your mind, 
the mood that you're in. So if you say if you you come in in the temple, you sit down, go to the sound of silence. But you feel very worried. You feel this sense of this kind of restless, anxious energy in your in your mind. You know, kind of negative feeling. If you go to that, don't try to figure out why you're worried or what's wrong. But just to the direct to the to the actual energetic experience, that kind of feeling of worry that we might call worry. And it has space around it, you know. It, it's, 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 but it's changing. It has no, no solidity, no core, no heart to it. It's just like, it's like something amorphous that's moving around and kind of like smoke, or, you know, that's just, ha- you know, there, and you, you're aware of it. But then it, 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 you can't fix it. You can't petrify it. The more you really look at it, it just kind of dissolves into nothing, goes into the emptiness. So then you, you begin to, to witness what like non-worry, consciousness, where the, the, uh, the, mood, the mood that you, you were aware of has ceased, and then what's left? There's, there's consciousness, there's Awareness. The still point. Then of course this this is to be noticed, to, to really to to recognize it. In the third noble truth, isn't it, the we chanted the Dhammajakasuka this evening, the third noble truth is about Realizing cessation, where things cease. Realizing, an interesting word, it's reality, isn't it? It's not, not some kind of abstract concept that we believe in. <clears throat> so, so that means really noticing, paying attention to the, to the absence of things, where every, and and uh, because we don't re- we don't notice that when we're just caught up in the momentum of habit, habits are formed and and then we just get attached to those habits and they just repeat themselves endlessly throughout our lives. So exploring that, you you begin to you know you have the insight. The way, the liberation from suffering is non-attachment to the conditioned realms, not getting rid of it, uh, trying to uh, destroy it or deny it or put it down in any way. We're not saying conditioned phenomena is bad or or deluding or anything. We're not we're not judging it. We're just using conditioned phenomena because the realm that we're in is a sense realm. It's about the conditions of, of having a, a human form in a, in a sensory realm. And that sensory realm then is, is to be respected and noticed, but it's not 
but not attached to. Because when we attach to the sense realm, it always leads us to despair of some sort, to fear or anxiety or soka paritewa tukatomanasa upayasa. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. If you attach, if you're attached to your body, where's it taking you? It's going to take you to death, isn't it? Try to imagine death right now, because we haven't died yet, have we? Physically, try to imagine death, and then, of course, you know, if you're, you know, with uh, Buddhist monasticism, this is one of the, uh, the. Uh, Subjects of reflection and contemplation. So people, people ask me, you know, what happens when you die? I don't know, I haven't died yet. When I die, I'll, I'll come back and tell you. <laughs> tell you all about it. <clears throat> but the physical death, you know, that, that sense of I'm going to die is because of, of the attack. And the, the unquestioned attachment to the physical body you have. And you can imagine, you only, your, your experience has always been with, with a physical body that's alive and conscious. So you, 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 you know, to imagine what, it, you, can, you can create a fantasy about death. When I die, my soul will, my spirit will go off into some place, uh, into the light or into the dark. Have you been good or bad person? <laughs> or, you might prefer the oblivion scenario. You know, I just believe that when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. Nothing. But that's, that's another fantasy, isn't it? You don't know. So in, uh, in, in meditation, where this, uh, the third noble truth, the reality of cessation, where things cease, now this is, while the body's still living, it doesn't, you don't need to, to kill yourself to, to recognize this, but just be patient with the, the mind states, the emotional habits, the thoughts. Let them cease, let them, because that's thinking ceases, emotion, emotional state that has arisen ceases. Peace. So it's not a peace that that depends on shutting everything off. No, it's not, not an annihilating peace. To plug up your ears and put blindfold on your eyes and stuff cotton up your nose and and put uh, cellophane over your mouth and try to stop any kind of thing. It's not, a, it's not a, an attack on the sense world because the sense world is not the problem. It's uh, ignorant about the sense world. It's not understanding it. And seeking your identity with it. Because it's always going to disappoint you. Whatever you, you attach to and seek, 
to take refuge in on the, on the, in the sense, in the conditioned realm, in the sense world. It, it, no matter how lovely it might be right now, it, it's evidently going to disappoint you in the long run, at the end of the day. So, so because that's the main condition phenomena ceases, it separates. You can't, you can't hold it and keep it and and uh, make it stay the way you want it, because that's not the way it is. So then, uh, say, when you, when you have these insights, then the path is very clear. The Eightfold Path is a way of non-attachment. One can look at the Eightfold Path as a uh, uh, deliberation, the Fourth Noble Truth, as, as the reality of living, you know, developing, practicing, uh, developing or cultivating non-attachment doesn't mean rejecting or resisting or pushing things out but once you have insight into the suffering that comes through attachment blind attachment then non-attachment is peaceful doesn't mean you don't have you can't enjoy life or you know, life is just a dreary plane of just shouldn't be attached to anything. That's another idea that you create. You know, I shouldn't be attached to anything. Is another sense of self. You know, so there's no way you can win on that level. You're, uh, you're trying to, to hold on to ideals of not being attached to anything doesn't work either. So, so recognizing, being using the discerning ability, the panya that's natural to this awareness, we see, we can, we can, we know that the suffering. And don't believe me. That I'm not trying to say, you know, to tell you how it is, but more or less describe from my own experience here what I know to encourage you to test it out. Then, uh, then once you realize the bliss of non-attachment, then, but then that cultivating that in the, uh, in your li- in the, in your life as a as a human being, which is being aware, okay, you know, learning to trust in this awareness more and more, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, doesn't mean just sitting in the temple. Uh, you know, shutting the world out. But it it includes the movements of the body, the breathing, the the, the experiences that one has, the karma that one has, the the what life brings us. It all belongs, in other words. It's all. Everything leads to the deathless. All the death-bound conditions, all the limitations. If you're patient with them and understand them, they they they'll lead you to the deathless, to the unconditioned. 
And then, like, like for me being a, a monk, uh, now it's it like it's like uh, uh, I'm reaping the benefits of my monastic life uh, because I've been a monk a long time and had occasions like this, you know, throughout the past 38 years to to keep keep reflecting, keep keep observing, noticing, using everything that happens to me, good or bad. And my own character tendencies, whatever they are, you know, skillful, unskillful, or whatever, as, as the, you know, to learn from it, to keep trusting in the awareness that includes both the, the you know, the, the uh, condition that arises and the space around it, or the silence or stillness around the sound, or the... You know, it all belongs then. So, so in other words, then I don't see, you know, I don't go around blaming people or, or feeling that somehow, you know, why me? Why does my life have to be, when when misfortune or unpleasantness comes my way, you know, if I get back into the old habits of my personality, think, it's not fair. It's not right. They shouldn't shouldn't be like this. I no longer believe in that when those voices are sounding off inside me because whatever, unfairness, injustice, sickness, whatever, it all takes, all leads to the cessation, to the spaciousness around it. If you're patient with it and willing to bear with the uh, your karmic uh, condition. Now this also is a where compassion arises because once you see this is this is subtle but it's real. It's not. It's a fact. It's not. It's not something you know refined even. It's not asking you to refine yourself into kind of high states of, of refined conscious experience. This includes the whole gamut, the whole range from coarse to refined. Includes physical pain and, and sickness and, and old age and, and um, whatnot, as well as refined uh, thinking or... or uh, high mental states and all the ranges in between those two extremes, they all fit in, they all belong. Because this world is like this, the body here is the coarse condition, not refined. Now I'm not asking the body, I'm not trying to refine my body because there's no way I can do that. I'm never going to make it into an ethereal body like a lovely devada that's made out of ether, kind of glistening and, and golden, useful and beautiful. Uh, because the devadas, they don't have uh, earth, fire, water in their bodies, uh, as you may have noticed. 
But uh, you notice your own body, it's, it's, it's about a coarse condition. Functions and so forth, isn't it? All the things that modern civilization is a bit embarrassed about. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Have a human body much of the time. Because uh, we do, you know, we do like to think of ourselves as kind of ethereal creatures. You know, we, we don't like to defecate in public. <laughs> we do that when no one can see us, because it, it's humiliating. Uh, because we do like to think of ourselves as more like Devadas, maybe. Um, refined and lovely creatures. And yet, when we get old, what happens, you know? Body packs up, you get, come incontinent, and, and uh, the body still, you know, is doing what it has to do in, in its way that, that on a personal level, one can be very embarrassed, humiliated by it. Because personally, you know, my own personality, it, uh, when my body doesn't behave itself in public, I feel very embarrassed. <laughs> uh, my ego is very, you know, because the ego is built around wanting to appear more like a demona, like very, like a finer thing than just, just a, um, a body that, that you eat food and it digests and you excrete it out and things like this. Don't want to think of myself. Our ego doesn't kind of enjoy thinking of myself as just that. So the coarseness belongs as well as the refinement. You know, this is the, the emotional world, whatever, if it's, you know, normal, balanced, well-adjusted or crazy, uh, nonsensical emotions, madness, it all belongs. You know, conditions are what they are. So it's not, not a matter of anything really being uh, an obstruction unless we make it so. So in the, uh, so the problem really lies with, with us whether we awaken or not, whether we, we investigate things as they are and, and learn and, 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 and see for ourselves, or we just want to go fall back to the momentum of our habits and uh, just become, you know, an old person according to the way your habits work how you see yourself as a personality and, and you can see and, and you know it's very good to to observe old people uh, they're the result of their lives you know they are the result of how they've been living so you know not as a criticism but just noticing how what how old people think whether they've, they've spent time reflecting and noticing and learning from life, or whether they've just been caught in, a, in, a, in, in habit patterns and just reproduced those till they, till they die. So 
one can do that when you just go back into the old habits and just until you, you drop dead. So this evening just to encourage you to to uh, you know, this is a good opportunity here, Amavati, uh, because it, it's easy to forget all this or to, uh, you know, to go back into the, the patterns of what we're used to, the obsessive thinking habits or emotional habits that we have. Because even though they might not be very skillful and not even not good at all, they're what we're used to. Then what we're used to is easy for us then to do, even though we know it's harmful. So in in you know here this you know just keep you know having this sense of of awakeness and and witnessing, watching, not just the just the and in, not in a critical way, not as a judgment. This is this isn't a, a critical practice that we're involved in. We're not trying to compare anything with anything else, but discerning. So panya means the ability to discern, to see, to know things as they are, the conditioned, the unconditioned. So after this is a reflection for this evening.